Performing arts venues suffered greatly during the pandemic, facing lengthy shutdowns and limited seating upon the reopening. Today, we speak with, to the new executive director of the Capital Center for the Arts about how that venue is recovering and what lies ahead for its future. I'm Matt Mowry, editor of Business NH Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, founder and president of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. Matt, have you ever been on stage? I have uh, many times, you know, for the magazine to introduce things and all that. Well, I mean, like... But you mean thespian yes, performing? Yes, yes, You yes. know, you would think yes. that as much as I'm a, a spotlight hog, yes. this would have been, uh-huh. but I did not do anything on stage until I was like a full grown adult working wait, at the wait, magazine. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. You're okay, a full grown well, adult? Okay, I'm still getting there. Uh-huh. But, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, um, I got asked one day if uh, there was a, um, a, a local theater group um, and who are unfortunately no longer around, but not because of me. Um, <laughs> Thanks think, for putting that in there. But um, um. they were doing um, this show uh, called Elegies for Angels, Punks and Raging Queens. And I'm like, and you thought of me. All right. Um, but they <laughs> hey, wanted, you know. it, it was a, a beautiful show um, that I hadn't heard of until I got asked to be in it, but it's um, stories of people who, um, for whom there there are squares in the eighth quilt. And so it's wow. telling each of those different type of stories. And so there are um, all these soliloquies that you do. And I'd never done this before. And um, I thought, well, you know, bucket list moment. Let's, you know, let's face the fear and do it. And it was, it was an amazing experience, first of all. I mean, but nerve wracking, um, you know, because, you know, my biggest fear was I'm going to forget these words. I'm going to get up there and just blank out in front of these people, which luckily did not happen. Um, but it was very freeing too, you know, like just trying to inhabit another person oh, wow. and, um, you know, having never done this before and then being with this amazing crew of people, some of who had acted most of their life. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. those of us that, you know, were kind of thrown into the mix to do this uh, and yeah. um, it was fun, cool. but uh, never have done it again. I'm like, I think I'm one and done. Like it was a great experience, oh, but I'm like, it maybe, was like so try. much stress for me. We'll find something else. <laughs> how maybe, about you? Uh, oh geez. Uh, how about me? So, um, I guess the short answer is no. Um, although, so I, uh, for a time in college and right after I worked for Blue Man Group in Boston, um, I was not on stage. Um, although I guess I fit the profile because people would look at me and go, are you a Blue Man? And no, no, <laughs> I, am not, I am not musically talented. I am not theatrically talented. Um, I met a really nice guy in um, college who was a friend of mine and had done some high school theater. So he got excited and wanted to start a theater guild at, you know, Daniel Webster College in Nashua, New Hampshire, not necessarily like the place you're going to start a theater guild or you would think to start one, but we did. I had never done a lick of theater. I had never done, you know, like produced anything, but I guess it came naturally. And then, you know, long story short, I produced like, three, uh, let's see, four or five different shows, you know, for the student body and the community and all that um, from soup to nuts. And it was a blast. Um, later on, when I was living in the Boston area, I got involved in um, a type of improv called playback theater. And it was, it's used in drama, ther- drama therapy, psychodrama, a lot of um, things like that. And it was fascinating. 
It was fascinating. It's basically like you're telling, I wasn't on a big stage. We'd meet at like a community center, right? To do this training and work with other people. And you're, you're listening to a story and then you're playing that story back with props and with other people in a way that, you know, and with these different forms. And it, it was like life-changing. And, and also because it's sort of improv-based. But anyway, it was... No, I'm, I haven't, uh, you know, been in a show as it were. I've been behind the scenes and in a lot of different ways, but never really, um, never really. See, I learned something new about you every show. You're such a Renaissance guy. But uh, you know, I, I, I so route. prefer to be in the audience. I'm so grateful that we have such a rich art scene here in New Hampshire. Yes. Um, and I'm itching to get back to it. And we, we went to our first show since the pandemic that nice. one of my friends was in, loved it. Nice. Um, and now I've, I've, I've got that itch again. I'm like, Oh, I've got to get know. back to a show. I know. I know. And, and well, and it's funny. So my roots of, you know, blue man and all that, they just reopened in most of the cities that they were pre pandemic. And yeah. I'm just like, Oh, I just want to go back <laughs> and see all of them and hug them and sit in the audience and experience it, you know, as, as so anyway, anyway, um, as we say, another beautiful rabbit hole here. Yeah. On Age. Uh, joining us this week, though, is Sal Prizio, executive director, relatively new executive director of the Capital Center for the Arts in Concord. Sal previously worked for Proctor's Theater Collaborative in Schenectady, New York, as the programming manager and events producer since 2016. He has a degree from Northeast Univers- Northeastern University, where his concentration was on the mu- business of the music industry. In addition to his years of experience in arts programming, He's a musician and former proprietor of Bread and Jam, a 150-seat music venue and coffee house. He has served as a grant reviewer for the New York State Council on the Arts and on the advisory committee for SUNY Schenectady Department of Music and as a chairman of the board for the Jazz on Jay concert series. Um, Sal, I love when a solid bio doesn't even begin to dig into who the person really <laughs> is, and I feel like that is happening here. Um, you have such a great creative background, but really have teeth for the business side of the arts. Where does that come from? I have no idea. Okay, good. All right. Uh, next question. Great. Good. <laughs> good podcast, folks. We'll see you guys right. later. Okay. He's First a, of all, thank you guys for having me on the, it's, on, uh, it's on the podcast. Pleasure. This is really cool. Um, where does the business side come from it? You know, it's a bit of it was a bit out of necessity. When you guys were talking about performing on stage, I spent the better part of 10 years in New York City in a band playing, playing guitar and, you know, doing our East Coast tours and putting out records and that sort of stuff. And it always fell apart on me to be the business mind in the, in the group, you know, lead singers are lead singers and drummers. <laughs> I mean, forget about it, the drummers. Forget about those guys. <clears throat> and we were a power trio, so there wasn't anybody left. So I had to kind of learn. Well, I worked in the record business during the day too, because mm. I needed to pay the bills. So between the experience of working in the record business and then handling all of the business aspects for my band, it's the part that I was really the best at. So many people have the dream of, you know, I'm going to be in a band and I'm going to go out and, you know, and, and never follow through. But you have lived that, you know, dream you've, and, and, and you've been able to work in all kinds of facets of the arts. What got you into it first and what made you have the stamina say, this is what I want to make my life? Uh, that's a yeah, so what got me into it first was, you know, when I was, t- I, you know, we were talking earlier, but when I was 10 years old and I saw Michael J. Fox playing guitar on stage during Back to the Future, I was like, I, wa- I want to play guitar. That's why I started playing guitar. 
And then in high school, uh, met some friends, got into a band. And I loved, for me, to this day, the most fascinating thing about being a songwriter or a musician on stage is when you are playing a song that you wrote and you see, like when I was in my 20s, I saw like a 13-year-old kid in the audience singing back the lyrics that I wrote to wow. a song to me. In the audience, I was like, there's, there's nothing better in the world than that from, from a musician's standpoint. So that was awesome in your 20s, right? You're having a great time, sleeping in vans, touring all over the place. Then you turn like, you know, before you know it, you're 30 years old, I'm married, <laughs> our first kid's on the way sort of thing. It's like, how do I continue in this field in a little bit more sustainable type of way. Mm -hmm. So you alter yourself, right? Decided to open a live music venue in upstate New York. And that led to me getting a job at St. Rose, you know, those sorts of things. So each one was kind of a progressive step along the way. But I relished the time, those, those times I had in my 20s playing music for, you know, either 400 people in a packed room or six people in an empty space. Because we always said, oh, it's a paid practice tonight, I guess, you know. <laughs> so we would, we would play our hearts out, but also realizing, you know, you don't have that much impact in the room kind of thing. But all of that, I, I just every piece, as you look back, you know, I'm 45 now, but I, as I look back on the last 25 years or 30 years for that matter, I realized that each success or failure was just another step along the way to get me uh -huh. to executive director role now. Nice. So nice. Um, and it's not an easy life. I mean, being on the road and trying to make, uh, you know, a go of it. And, um, you know, and the fact that you were able to, to, you know, stick it through and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to try and then yeah. that, but what from those early years of being a performer have, what were the lessons you took away from that that have helped you succeed in, in the career now? Uh, yeah, well, uh, perseverance in the, in the face of everybody telling you it can't be done, yeah. right? So what does success look like as a musician? Uh, you, know, you know, for me, I was trying to get at least that either write the hit single or get that first hit song so we could play in front of thousands of people, right? But you adapt those kind of things as you go along. So for me, it was, you know, everything from you can't build an audience and then we built an audience and then it's like you can't put out a record well we put out four records you know what i mean so in the face of people telling you no you say yes but you say yes and this is the way we can do things so those skills and also just having to understand that no matter who you're dealing with you're going to find out that you're going to be dealing with them some point later on down the road so be nice to people in general um, perseverance and just kind of being kind to each other were the two biggest things I learned about, you know, being a musician, because, you know, for a lack of better term, the, the entertainment industry is very incestuous. So you cannot tick off the wrong people. Yeah. Yeah. You're true. You're a true artist. I know this already because you said yes. And instead of no, <laughs> and that's like that we were talking about the improv early on, Matt. And that's kind of like the foundation of improv. You say yes. And right. And there's always yep. a way to figure it out. May not look the same, you know, the way you thought, but there you go. Um, I want to dig in for a minute because we uh, we mentioned in your in your introduction about bread and jam, um, and it seemed like this was kind of a, a this was a big deal for you and and it was it sounds from what I read like a really cool venue or sounded like a cool venue. Um, can you tell us about the journey to create that and run that and then and sort of what happened with that? I know that led to some other experiences yeah, for you, but can you talk through that with us? Yeah, Get a little sure. nostalgic as it were. Yeah. So uh, after about 10 years in New York City working in the record business, I had gone from literally when you show up in New York City, even with a degree from any university, they're like, you know, at the time it was 2000. So like get in line with the rest of the temps, right? So <laughs> yeah. I started as a temp and worked my way up to essentially being CFO of this 
label called Eagle Rock Entertainment. They do a lot of like video releases and live concert footage things. Um, the band was kind of at the point where we were just doing like some cover gigs and, you know, releasing some recordings, but we weren't like, it wasn't doing the thing anymore. So I said, I really kind of want to get back to professionally that boots on the ground kind of feel. So my wife's from Cohoes, New York. I couldn't afford to open something in Brooklyn because that's where we were living. And mm. it was like a million dollars a month. <laughs> so upstate New York, Cohoes, it was going through a bit of a renaissance. And I wanted to kind of do this thing that I could impact musicians directly. So put together this like, you know, real funky, eclectic kind of vibe, learned how to operate an espresso machine, all the things. I learned how to basically run a yes. restaurant, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, signed the lease in August of 2008. Now, if your memory uh, serves you guys correctly, what dear. happened in September of 2008? Mm. Little nosedive in the economy, right? <laughs> Our friend, the Lehman Brothers showed up and yeah. And Enron, I think was the other one. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> the point was, is the economy tanked right. literally two months later. And uh, all this economic activity that had been coming into the city just stopped. I mean, it just stopped. So um, we hung on. I actually built some of the best relationships I had in those two years that I stayed open in the business. I kept it open until 2010. You know, I wasn't making any money at that point. My wife was teaching and things like that. So it was like, you know, basically it was just kind of running this coffee house. And, but based on the work and the community that I had built in this space, the president of the College of St. Rose had heard about it, had come to one of my shows. I didn't know he was coming. So this, you know, this guy in the suit show up and stuff with an entourage <laughs> with him. Uh-oh. Yeah, and I was like, what's going on? Is this the IRS that I'm not paying the taxes? <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, great, you know, great in the middle of the show. Um, so anyways, and then he called me and said, you know, I love the work you're doing there. Would you consider running our 400 seat room. We've got this great 400 seat venue on campus. He's like, and he's like one of those old school guys. Like, I don't know what the hell to do with this thing. You know, can you come <laughs> figure it out? I was like, sure. And uh, I was like, I talked to my wife. I was like, look, I can either get a great paycheck from the school and do the same thing on a bigger scale, or we keep the business going. So we made the call that, you know, we had to, it was time to change. Um, but then, you know, it was, in, that was the fascinating piece of that was, is like, I was just booking local and a couple of regional things for 150 seat room. Now all of a sudden it's, I've got to book national acts. I have no idea how to do it. So I literally started scrolling through like every touring agency that I could find booking agency, all those sort of things, reaching out to agents, introducing myself and just doing that kind of boots on the ground work. So I learned on the job how to book a 400 seat room. Wow. Yeah. Who were some of, uh, you know, the acts that you booked that you're like, I cannot wait to meet them. And what was it like to, I have to tell you, uh, one of the first, my first season there, uh, I brought in, uh, Tim Reynolds from Dave Matthews band. Yeah. And he was hilarious to work with super nice guy and all that sort of stuff. But the first real big, like artist that I got to work with was Chick Corea. Uh, and, oh, wow. Yeah. And Chick couldn't have been a nicer human being, uh, was always cold though. So like literally uh -huh. his green room, we had like 90 degrees <laughs> and I was like, he's like, can you make the, the hall any warmer? I'm like, we've already got it preheated to like 73. And then you put 400 people in a recital uh, hall, it's, it's going to get hot. So, uh, those were th you know, those first few moments where I was like, wow, I'm working with like internationally known people. This is really fun. So it, it just kind of kept becoming the springboard for me and the springboard. And I just kind of kept, okay, the next season, how many great artists can I bring in in one year kind of thing? So I kept setting these new goals for myself to do it. 
talk to us a little bit about Capital Center for the Arts. So you started there in November of 21. Um, for the for listeners who have not been there and not experienced it yet, um, give us your pitch and and tell us a bit about the spaces and and um, and what's going on there. Yeah. So Capital Center for the Arts has two venues: our, our traditional CCA original venue, which is 1,300 seats. Nice. It's an old vaudeville theater that was open in the 1920s. Uh, has state-of-the-art sound system in there. There's not a bad seat in the house. Mm. And we have everything from comedy to music to Broadway shows, children's programming, you name it. And then in 2019, the organization opened up the Bank of New Hampshire stage. And if you haven't been in there, it's it's one of the coolest venues, I think, in New Hampshire. Um, awesome original brick walls from the building, but it's the sound in there is fantastic. But it's also, it's a 400 cap room when it's standing room, but we have this little balcony at the top for 88 people, or we can put the seating completely out for seated events. And in that space, like I'm really opening up the programming in there because it's a flexible room and we have the state of the art LED walls and everything going on. So we're going to be doing video game tournaments, TED Talks, podcasts live. Uh, We got a weekly jam session going on, live music, comedy, uh, community events in there, you name it. So, nice. Yeah. So after, you know, you opened a business and, and then the recession hits. Yep. And now you've made the decisions that not a lot of people do. You know, I, I'd love to dig into. So we're in the middle of a pandemic and you go, <laughs> you know what? I am going to move my whole life to New Hampshire <laughs> and head up a nonprofit performing arts venue because why not during this challenging time? What made you want to make that leap and why come to New Hampshire and CCA? Sure. Uh, first of all, being an executive director of a, of a non-for-profit performing arts center was the goal for me. Like that's the thing I wanted to get to. Um, I left an organization that was a $43 million a year budget. It was huge. Proctor's collaborative, you know, it's, it's a regional organization in many forms. Um, and the people I learned from there were amazing human beings. Um, why the pan, why during the pandemic? Well, why not? I mean, it's, you've got to strike when opportunity presents itself and why New Hampshire? Well, after I came here, first of all, I love the size of the both venues. That was mm. the first thing I was like, this is the right size organization for me to take my first step into being an executive director, right size, right number of staff, all that sort of stuff. But then I came here and like the board is unbelievably supportive and the community is so nice. It's the right size city for my family. I mean, all the pieces were there. Like my wife came with me on the interview because it was like two days and she's like, oh, please get this job. This is like the perfect (laughs) spot for us. She's like, I love this area. We're 40 minutes to the ocean, an hour to Boston if we want to go there. But I love the idea of being able to impact the community, right? Like I could probably go get a gig down in Boston and do something down there, whatever, but it's such a massive place. Whereas in downtown Concord, like I'm talking with the mayor, I'm talking with the chamber of commerce, all those sorts of things. We have the ability at not only for myself, but the capital center as a whole to make such an impact and we can do it quickly. And especially in these times, right? People have been down about the pandemic. They want to get out and do things again. You know, global situations are crazy. We need escapism, Right not for the sake of a negative term, but a positive thing. Mm-hmm. We all need mm-hmm. to be able to get together and have fun. Yeah. And the Capital Center can do that, not only for the city, but for the region. And we can do it quickly. So that's, for me, those are the reasons why I was like, this, this is it. And can you talk about what it's like to lead <clears throat> a performing arts organization at this time? I mean, <clears throat> the arts are such an important part of a vibrancy of a community. Yeah. And I mean, we all went through such a tough time when everything shut down. Um, but 
one of the big worries is that we were going to lose these important parts of our communities yeah. because they just couldn't operate. Um, and even when they did start opening, it was in such a limited capacity. So, you know, they've had to be so adaptive and creative. Um, and so now we're in the stage where things are starting to open back up and people are wanting to get out again. Um, but you know, performing arts centers have had to carry this load of debt and, 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 yeah. and such. What has it been like for the cap center during this time? How did they manage to keep the lights on and what does it mean now with you coming on board? What is your mission as you lead them forward? Sure. Yeah. There's a, there's quite a bit there, but I, I, the quickest way I can answer all those questions is to say to you that, you know, the times were tough for the Capitol Center. I mean, they had to cut down to just bare bones staff and a lot of really good people had to, to move on to other things in the meantime. Um, what kept the lights on is two things, really. It's SVOG money that came from the federal government and the support of the members and donors, hands down. Without them, venues like the Capitol Center, and I'm sure there's thousands across this country, that the people who were invested, just like anything else with a non-for-profit, they're invested in these organizations being a key part of their community. And they realized during this downtime that they needed their support more than any other time. So Capitol Center actually right now is in a good place to restart and get ourselves back going. One of my missions moving forward is to expand. You have to think about a performing arts center now, not just as a live uh, mm. performing venue, but as a content provider to the community. Meaning that if we offer sh some streaming content, and I don't mean like you know the Facebook Live kind of stuff. Mm. I mean like think about it more like the way NHPR or our um, uh, you know PBS, mm -hmm. the way they offer you know, concerts live to their community. It's right. not, it's not live. It's just a live show that's been taped and shown. If you think about it in those terms as a multifaceted kind of thing, then you start to see that you're a content provider, you're a community space for all of these things. So we're looking at things like, um, uh, what's it called? A kitchen, uh, open community kitchens for some of our new American communities to test out their kind of concepts for those sort of things, streaming platforms. I mean, all sorts of things, ways that we can use our infrastructure to benefit the community overall. So when I think about those things moving forward, because also at the end of the day too, we need to diversify our income, right? Right. So that if we have another shutdown, we have these other ways that we can kind of keep the doors, quote unquote, and the lights on. We'll be right back with Sal Prizio. McLean Middleton is a full-service law firm with over 100 attorneys and 25 paralegals throughout its five offices in Manchester, Concord, and Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and Woburn in Boston, Massachusetts. For over 100 years, they've been providing exceptional legal services to businesses, individuals, and nonprofit organizations across the region. Visit McLean.com for a complete list of practice areas and attorneys. We're back with Sal Prizio, Executive Director, Capital Center for the Arts. Sal, let's dig in for just a moment here. Um, more about you. You um, obviously have, you know, grown up in and been, had the arts and, and music as part of your life. Um, what has performing arts and, and music meant for your life? And in that same realm, um, what's your favorite thing to perform? My favorite thing to perform is probably my guitar. You mean like an instrument? Yeah, or like, yeah, yeah. Well, you so you play guitar. Do yeah. you play any other instruments? Or? Uh, I play some bass, play drums, okay. play keys. Nice. Yeah. 
I haven't written music in a long time just because I haven't had time to, but one of my favorite things to do is my wife plays drums too. So we have like a jam room in our basement. Wow. My oldest son plays French horn and keys. My middle son plays bass. My little guy, he plays drums technically, but the way a six-year-old would play drums, you know, bashing on something. So the way I play drums. Yeah. One of my, (laughs) one of my favorite. You've got your own partridge family. I know. I know. I know. We're going to debut them one of these days. Excellent. Um, One of my favorite things to do is just get the family together and make a bunch of noise in the basement and have fun doing that. But I love, I still would get up on stage with the guitar and buddies from my band and stuff like that. And we could rock out a good 40 minute set for you. There you go. Just give me a couple hours to warm up. And well, I mean, you do book the you do book the acts right with with your team. So maybe you I'm just wait, get yourself wait, a little. I'm waiting to settle in a little okay. bit before mm-hmm. I you know I throw the old you know. <laughs> hey, the, put your foot down. The say, executive this is my director spot. is opening up for a big national band. Today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hmm. Sold out audience at the CCA, and I've got my own band on stage now. Oh I, my but goodness! But yeah, but yeah, I still. There's a piece of me that, and again, it's that connection with people Mm. that I love more than anything else. And the second best thing to being on stage is to provide that content. So like when I watch in my role now as an executive director, when I see, you know, we got Shatner coming up this week and people are going to just totally be geeking it out on the show. So to watch their eyes light up when Shatner (laughs) walks out on stage, (laughs) just for me, those are the kind of things that's like, you know, I like making people happy. Nice. Nice. I, you know, I, I think, you know, on the face of it, people look at like the Capitol Center for the Arts and they think automatically, oh, that's the, where I go to see shows. Yeah. But it is a nonprofit and it has a mission and it goes well beyond providing those shows. Can you talk about some of the other activities that the Capitol Center is involved with in the community? Yeah, sure. So uh, I've been having ongoing conversations, like again, so I'm new, so I'm just trying to get to know people. But one of the things I said we really need to be doing is again, when I said mentioned to you earlier, don't think about it as the physical place anymore. Mm. We need to be out in communities presenting too. So one of the things we're going to be doing, we actually, I just finalized the deal just a couple of days ago to have a large national touring artist coming in on market days. So CCA is going to present like a big national touring artist on stage, not inside, outside, on the street, big rock concert for all the community to come. It's free. But in addition to that, we're going to be doing we're going to be working with the multicultural festival and doing entertainment for them. And even, you know, like the, the, what's it called? The capital craft fair and things like that. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to do is go, the mission has to extend upon the physical space, but also like uh, coming up on March 10th, we're doing a vaccine drive over at bank of New Hampshire stage. So we've got some entertainment involved with that. Mm-hmm. The, the city was really excited because bank of New Hampshire stage has got the great facilities that they can work with and things like that. So again, what are our stages? What is the infrastructure we have? How can we use these things to benefit the community? You know, we think about things like broadcasting things in the future or mm-hmm. open mic nights or, you know, we talk about uh, new Americans. They're going to be doing some showcase events at our spaces. We're implementing a new program this year where we're donating our stages X number of times a year to 5013Cs or local charities that come to us with a proposal saying, we want to do this fundraising event. We can't afford to, you know, so it's, we have to think about things that way. We have to think globally, locally, but globally about what our resources can do for people. That's awesome. Um, you, uh, in the short time that we've been talking here and just the way you talk and the passion that you have and the way that it seems that you problem solve, I don't think challenges are going to be that big of an issue for you. Um, and you've got a great team, but what are perhaps some of the challenges that you see in moving these ideas forward in, um, in just making things happen here in Concord? Yeah. 
a couple of things, right? We are still coming out of this pandemic. Mm. We're in one of the tightest labor markets that any of us have ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I have staffing shortages mm. right now internally, but we also have usher shortages too, you know, which is a piece of staffing shortages. And our ushers were reticent to come back into the spaces. So we have to, I have to be able to balance people's expectations of what we can do versus what we have the ability to do. Nice. nice. So well, that's, that's really the short term. Mm-hmm problems that we face right now. Yeah. And do you see any challenges in um, outside of, you know, those pandemic related and workforce related challenges in terms of the growth of the organization? Or do you feel that there's so much support and so much momentum that you're, you're on a roll and will have normal challenges as it were? (laughs) Yeah. I hope the challenges are just the normal ones again and not the pandemic related Mm. challenges. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, I see growth in different ways to different branches going off, not just the number of shows you do a year and what your ticket revenue looks like and those sort of things, but building your contributed revenue and talking about new revenue streams, whether it's coming through food related sales or, you know, online related things or, you know, physical merchandise or whatever those things may be. Those are the challenges that I enjoy going, you know, through the other piece, you know, I will tell you the other big challenge you have to do is just conveying the message properly to people, Mm -hmm. right? You want to get buy-in from city officials and all those sorts of things. So, um, those are challenges, but I think those are obtainable ones, the ones we can overcome. So there it is. Um, you know, I just went back for one of my first shows, um, and it was, we saw the same one. Yes. And it was, you know, just, it was wonderful to be back in audience and seeing live performances yeah. and having that energy. I imagine you're starting to see that a lot, that, that those people that are coming back for the first time in maybe two years or so, what are the reactions that people are having being back in audience and what does it take to entice them back? It takes different audiences, different things to entice them back. So a younger audience just wants to see the name. They want to get out there and have a good time again. Older audience is a little bit more reticent, justifiably so. Um, to get back. And in those, it's conveying a sense of safety and security for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, health, safety, and security and those sorts of things. What has it been like? Yeah. What are the reactions you're the getting? The reactions are almost overwhelming because I have been saying this now for a while, but it's more true. It's true more now post pandemic than any other time. Art is one of the last bastions that, def- that separates us from the machines right? Mm. The communal experience of sharing art with each other makes us all feel human again. Like I could be in an audience with the two of you and we could have diametrically opposed uh, thoughts on, you know, whatever social event or political event thing, but we're all here to say, see the same band on stage and we're all rooting for that band. And the, the, you cannot through a screen get the same kind of give and take that a band gives you live or a comedian does live. And People need that. They need to be in their tribe again mm-hmm. and see things and experience things and they have that energy again. And that is the biggest thing. That's the biggest response reaction that I see from audiences again. And are you seeing audiences beginning to build back up now? Oh yeah. Last weekend we had three sold out shows. Oh, that's wow. amazing. Yeah. Excellent. It was the first, I mean, Excellent. and look, January we had, we canceled our entire month mm. because of COVID related issues. It was one after another. It was just like a domino. January was wiped out completely. Ugh. February was kind of like this fits and starts kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But by the end of February, we had three sold out shows last weekend wow. and we're looking good for the rest of March. So huge. people are like, they are ready. They, yes. So, and that, you know, our goal is for us to be ready for them as best as we can be. So. 
You've um, you, you talked earlier, and, and it's funny. We have obviously a lot of these conversations about you know almost around twenty or so episodes of of Bizcast NH so far. And in these conversations, we talk to people who come here from other places, other states, other countries, um, and they don't leave. And one of those is reasons is because they feel like, and you said this, that they can have a much much larger impact. Yeah. being here than if you're down in Boston where it's this big machine and it's this different level of things. Um, and, and I think that's huge. And, and are you seeing that not only with, with CCA, but in, in community as well? And are, are there plan? are you somebody who, um, well, you are, we know that from chairing uh, the board of the Jazz on Jay concert series and other things. How would you like to be involved in, in community and sort of, uh, you know, leaving your fingerprints as it were, um, in the future here, you know, we're not going to hold you to anything, but any, any ideas? And Mark anything, my anybody? words. I know. Exactly. 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 Date. Yeah. Um, so timestamp, 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 please. <laughs> you got that, Johnny? All right. Uh, um, so I think for me, the biggest compliment that I get, uh, would get is just the reaction of people at either public events, private events, whatever it be that the stamp I would say is, is that there is a vibrant, cohesive, enjoyable art scene. Mm, I wish every, I wish that every city and every town in the state has that. You know, like when you, when you travel and you go to that place, you're like, oh, this place is happening. Yes. You know what I mean? Like I'm not picking out any particular city names off the top of my head, but you know, there's the vibe there. Yes. So I want that for any place that I am a part of nice. that people go to and like, Oh, Concord's, ha- you know, this place is popping. Right? There's great murals on the wall and mm. people are walking down the street. There's a live or prime example. Like I go to a uh, conference every year in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, you walk down, I, I can't remember the name of that street is, but they call it the row or whatever. It's mm-hmm. like, there's honky tonks with like three levels of live music going on. 20 buildings deep down both sides of the road. And it's like 11 o'clock on a Tuesday. And I'm like, this is nuts. <laughs> now, obviously scalable, right? Yeah, right. right. But of you can course. scale these things and work with local and city partners to go, think about this, take yourself out of Concord or New Hampshire for a minute, mm. find pockets of things that you know will work in this community. Let's set realistic goals, you know, six months, a year, five years, and let's get to that place where everybody's going, man, you guys got to go up to Concord. Like that place is moving. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's for me is like, I love the juice of that whole thing. And I love pulling in the, you know, the police department and the Mm -hmm. local officials Mm -hmm. and this people, let's get this thing going. So it's like, it feels cool. Yeah. Well, and I think your, your ideas are around having, you know, these free concerts and this outdoor, you Mm -hmm. know, bringing music and arts to people. um, That's huge. That is so that is so massive and it will have that effect on folks where they say we got to go to Concord. I mean, you're looking, you look at the market days that they have and you look yeah. at your, like even the, the art that's there already. And, um, and there's obviously other places, but thinking about Concord, cause that's where CCA is, yeah. um, that it's huge and, and they, it takes a lot of time and effort to, to do that. Yeah, it's to gotta be sustained sustainable. effort. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think, you're working with, you know, collaborating with those partners is 100% the, the, the way to go. And I'm, I'm so excited that you're here and in, in New Hampshire. To speak to that point of yeah. what you just said too Please. about collaboration, you have to approach it from the place of we've all have to do this together, mm. right? You can't, there's no competition, no fighting against each other. Because at the end of the day, 
if we bring in 10,000 extra people to the city, it's going to benefit all of us. So there's no point in me fighting against any other PACs or art galleries or whatever. Play nice in the sandbox with each other and we'll all win, right? Because the place you go compete is places like New York City and Boston where yeah. you're fighting for the same half a million, million people mm. or whatever. That's a different ball game. For us, it's like we're all in the same ship here. Let's, let's make this thing work. And uh, you had just mentioned, I think it was 16 million. Is that the economic impact of, of the Capital Arts Center? Or, you know, how do you measure that, that financial impact? I mean, not that that's the point of the arts, but Concord's been very proactive in, you know, investing in the creative economy yeah, and recognizing the contributions yeah. that it makes. What does that look like for the Cap Center? So I, I haven't looked at any recent economic impact studies. Mm -hmm. And I, I will have to look into that a little more deeply. But the funny thing that I always tell elected officials is you, I think elected officials a lot of times will underestimate what the arts mean to a community. They always look at the anchor businesses that are going to draw in the X number of what, but those anchor businesses, when they're trying to recruit new people, what are they looking for? How's the housing? How's the schools? Mm. And what's the cool stuff to do downtown? Right right? Every single time. So you can take any post-industrial city that's been burned out, whatever. Who's the first ones that go in? It's the cool art scene. Mm -hmm. And then when the art scene gets cool, and I saw this happen in front of my eyes when I lived in Brooklyn. Like, you know, Williamsburg, when I first got to Brooklyn, was abandoned factory buildings. Well, the artists came in first, and then the breweries came in, and then, you know, the hipsters came in, and then before you know it, the developers came in, and now it's, you know, $4 million apartments down there. It's oh, the dear. same template every mm. single time. It is. Because it is. cheap, burned-out places are where artists go to do really cool, creative things. Now, if you think about it that way, and you always say to yourself that the arts is the seed by which the hip thing grows, mm -hmm. then just trying to do my part to make elected officials or people in, in the know or have the power, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. realize that up front, make those investments in the arts so that we've got that momentum. So that when you're recruiting these businesses to come in, like check out our cool downtown. We've got, and by the way, when I say the arts, I mean restaurants too, because culinary mm -hmm. arts count, right? Bingo. So I got Bingo. the cool restaurants, yep. you got the cool things going on downtown, our schools are great, housing is lovely, you know, and then all of a sudden people are like, this is an awesome place to be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to have to take a little a little trip up north to uh, my adoptive hometown, we'll call it, of Littleton, which is an exact example of that. It's post, you know, it's post-industrial and the arts move in and, you know, of all kinds and it becomes a success story. It's a North Country hub, yeah. really. And so we'll have you up and uh, get you into a good show up there and cool. all that too. I love it. Um, before we wrap today, I want to um, go back even further than Bread and Jam. Um, who, was, who was Sal Prizio as a young kid? What were you up to? What were you doing? When I did mean, you grow up? I grew up in Glastonbury, Connecticut, uh -huh. in a lovely little suburb town. Rode my uh, dirt bike with all my, you know, lived on Dead End <laughs> Street. There was about 12 boys between the ages, you know, two to three years apart. So it was a little bit of Lord of the Flies at times, wow. right? Mm -hmm. With the mm -hmm. woods behind one side of the house. So we we're building tree forts and yeah. making jumps for bikes and, nice. you know, setting a remote control cars on fire. You know, yeah, all the stuff that your parents scream at you about. Normal stuff. Um, <laughs> and then, like I said, I discovered music and it, it kind of changed. I had a couple of really good friends in the area who had older brothers that played in bands too. Uh. And when I saw them playing in bands and the crowd that, you know, was coming out to see them and stuff, it really kind of influenced me to say, that's, that's cool. That's kind of one of the things I want to do. So, um, you know, the prototypical suburban yeah. kind of childhood thing and really good friends and, 
you know, mother screaming at me when the lights came on to get home and all that fun stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, Sal Prizio is thankfully the executive director of the Capital Center for the Arts in Concord. It's been great to have you. It's been great to chat. I'm sure we could keep going for hours. But It's been my pleasure. Well, thanks. Thanks again. Thank you for the delicious tea. Well, listen, that's that's what we do here at BizCast. You make a hell of a tea. We treat them right. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. And now the buzz with Matt Mowry. They say a picture is worth a thousand words, but you better be careful what those words are saying about you. A recent survey of 200 business owners, HR professionals, and managers by Passport Photo Online found 80% of LinkedIn recruiters believe that profile pictures help them know candidates better. And 71% of recruiters actually admit they rejected a candidate because of their LinkedIn profile picture at least once. So before you pop that picture into your profile, you might want to take a second glance at it. And that's what we're buzzing about this week. Welcome back to the Cardinal Corner. I'm Nathan Carroll. To follow in today's conversation with our guest, let's talk for a bit about nonprofits. Nonprofits are businesses too, aren't they? They still run in the same way, don't they? They have obligations to employees and customers as well as financial obligations. Don't they both need to generate revenue, right? One thing that nonprofits tend to do very well and focus on regularly is the process of strategic planning. That initial process for a nonprofit, of course, leads to the strategic plan. But every two to five years or so, a nonprofit should look at its current plan to reassess, strategize, pivot as needed, right? Really quickly, what is a strategic, what is strategic planning? Then a great example. You know by now that I love throwing in a textbook definition. So thanks to the Balanced Scorecard Institute, here we go. Strategic planning is an organizational management activity that is used to set priorities, focus energy and resources, strengthen operations, ensure that employees and other stakeholders are working toward common goals, establish agreements around intended outcomes, results, and assess and adjust the organization's direction in response to a changing environment. That's a whole mouthful, but It helps us to really understand what strategic planning to develop a plan is. It essentially aligns the organization for success. Capiche? Capiche. One great example that was hugely uh, beneficial to the organization and was not a heavy lift uh, is some work that Cardinal did. We did that with the Family Resource Center out of Gorham here in New Hampshire. We took their existing strategic plan knowing that they wanted and needed an update. Cardinal spent a day with their team. It was employees and board members, and we dove into areas of their existing plan with them to help determine where their, uh, their updates and adjusted focus needed to be. And we involved input from all levels, right? We determined needs and assets and helped everyone think outside the box for the future of that organization. A simple and effective process. Consider it, update it, work on it. Do more than think about it, nonprofit folks. Thanks for joining me in the Cardinal Corner, where we are always focused on the future. Find more at our website, cardinalconsultingnh.com, or on social at cardinalconsultingnh. Thank you for joining us today. 
If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard in today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a joint production of Business NH Magazine and Cardinal Consulting. Listen to us anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. <laughs>